listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and I'm reading and commenting on the Mystical City of God by Maria of Agreda throughout the year, four volumes and over 2,500 pages. Today is day 26. Also, if you want to discuss the Mystical City of God with others, look for the Facebook group, Mystical City of God in a Year podcast, and there you can interact with fellow listeners and readers throughout the year. Today is day 26, and we are reading from chapter 14, picking up where we left off yesterday at paragraph 199 and reading through paragraph 208. You do already know how the ancient serpent, since he saw the sign of this marvelous woman, attempts to circumvent all women, and how from the first one created he persecutes all those whom he sees excelling in the perfection of their works and life, excepting to find among them the one who is to crush his head. Genesis 3.15 When he shall encounter this most pure and spotless creature, he shall find her so holy that he will exert all his power to persecute her, in pursuance of the concept which she forms of her. But the arrogance of this dragon shall be greater than his powers. Isaiah 16.6 And it is our will that you have particular charge of this, our holy city, and tabernacle of the incarnate word, protecting, guarding, assisting, and defending her against our enemies, and that you enlighten, strengthen, and console her with all due solicitude, and reverence as long as she shall be a wayfarer among the mortals. At this proposal of the Most High, all the holy angels prostrate before the royal throne of the Most Holy Trinity, avowed their promptitude and eagerness to obey the divine mandate. Each one desired in holy emulation to be appointed and offered himself for such a happy service. All of them gave to the Almighty praise and thanksgiving and new songs, because the hour had arrived for the fulfillment of that for which they had, with the most ardent desires, prayed through many ages. I perceived on this occasion that when the time of that great battle of St. Michael with the dragon and his allies, in which they were hurled into everlasting darkness, while the hosts of Michael remained victorious and confirmed in grace and glory, these holy spirits commenced immediately to pray for the fulfillment of the mysteries of the incarnation of the word, of which they became cognizant at that time. And they persevered in these oft-repeated prayers up to the hour in which God manifested to them the fulfillment of their desires and petitions. On this account, the celestial spirits at this new revelation conceived an additional joy and obtained new accidental glory. And they spoke to the Lord Most High and incomprehensible God and Lord. Thou art worthy of all reverence, praise, and eternal glory. And we are thy creatures and made according to thy divine will. Send us, most powerful Lord, to execute thy most wonderful works and mysteries, in order that in all things thy most just pleasure may be fulfilled. In such terms of affection the heavenly princes acknowledged themselves as subjects, and if it had been possible, they desired to increase in purity the perfection in order to be more worthy guardians and servants of Mary. Then the Most High chose and appointed those who were to be occupied in this exalted service, the guardianship of Mary. From each of the nine choirs of angels, he selected one hundred, being nine hundred in all. Moreover, he assigned twelve others, who would in a special manner assist Mary in corporeal and visible forms, and they were to bear the emblems of the redemption. These are the twelve which are mentioned in the twenty-first chapter of the Apocalypse as guarding the portals of the city. 
of them, I will speak in the explanation of that chapter later on. Besides these, the Lord assigned 18 other angels, selected from the highest ranks, who were to ascend and descend by the mystical stairs of Jacob, with the message of the queen to his majesty, and those of the Lord to her. For many times did she send them to the Eternal Father, in order to be governed in all her actions by the Holy Spirit. She did nothing except what pleased the Almighty and his pleasures. She sought even in the most insignificant things, whenever she was not instructed by a special enlightenment. She sent these holy angels to the Lord in order to represent her doubt, and signify her desire to do what was most pleasing to the divine will, and in order to be informed of his pleasure, as we shall relate in the course of this history. In addition to all these holy angels, the Almighty assigned and appointed seventy seraphim, choosing them from the highest ranks and from those nearest to the divinity, in order that they might communicate and converse with this princess of heaven in the same way as they themselves have intercourse with each other, as the higher communicate with the lower ones. This was a privilege conferred upon the mother of God, because she was to be a wayfarer on earth and in nature, inferior, though in dignity and grace, superior to all the seraphim. When at one time the Lord withdrew and hid himself from her, as we shall later on, these seventy seraphim enlightened her and consoled her. To them she poured out the longings of her most ardent love and her anxieties in regard to her hidden treasure. That there were seventy of these spirits had reference to the number of years of her life, which was seventy and not sixty, as I will explain in its place. Among this number are included the sixty strong ones, which in the canticles are mentioned as guarding the chamber or couch of Solomon, their loins girded with swords against the terror of the night. These mighty princes and captains were assigned as a guard of the Queen of Heaven from among the highest orders of the angelic hierarchy. For these in the ancient battle of the obedient spirits with the proud dragon were as the armed champions of the Lord of all creation, encountering and overcoming Lucifer and all his apostates with the sword of their virtue of the divine word. Hence, because they distinguished themselves in that great battle and victory by their zeal for the honor of the Almighty, and had been valiant and skillful captains in the divine love, as they so zealously defended the honor of their captain and lord and of the most holy mother by the arms of divine grace, given to them in view of the merits of the incarnate word. Therefore it is said that they guard the couch of Solomon, that they form his guard, girded with the sword about the loins, for thus is indicated the human generation or humanity of Christ conceived in the virginal chamber of Mary, of her most pure blood and substance. The other ten seraphim, which complete the number of seventy, were likewise chosen from the more distinguished leaders of those who in their opposition to the dragon had manifested a greater reverence for the divinity and humanity of the word and for this most holy mother. For all this was determined during that brief conflict of the holy angels. It was one of the principal distinctions merited by them at their time that they were to be selected as guardians of their queen and lady. Altogether a thousand angels were chosen from the seraphim and the lower orders of angels, and thus that city of God was superabundantly fortified against the infernal hosts. In order that this invincible warrior troop might be well appointed, St. Michael, the prince of the heavenly militia, was placed at their head, and although not always in the company of the queen, he was nevertheless often near her and often showed himself to her.
The Almighty destined him as the special ambassador of Christ our Lord and to act in some of the mysteries as the defender of his most holy mother. In a like manner, the holy prince Gabriel was appointed to act as a legate and minister of the Eternal Father in the affairs of the princes of heaven. Thus did the Most Holy Trinity provide for the custody and the defense of the Mother of God. All the appointments of the angels were a grace of the Almighty, but I understand that he observed, according to a certain measure, the laws of distributive justice. In his equity and providence, he took account of the manner in which the holy angels acted, and felt in regard to the mysteries revealed to them in the beginning, concerning his Most Holy Mother. For in accepting the divine decree, each was moved by different affections and inclinations toward the sacraments, which became known to them. Not in all was the same grace or willingness and affection. Some of them yielded with an especial devotion when they recognized the union of the divine and the human natures in the person of the word, which was to be enclosed in the limits of a human body, and yet raised to the sovereignty of all creation. Others, in their affection, were moved to admire the love of the only begotten the Father, that caused him to become mortal and offer himself as a sacrifice for men. Others, again, signalized themselves in praising God for creating a body and soul of such excellence that it would be superior to all the celestial spirits, and that from it the Creator would take human flesh. According to these sentiments and in proportion to them, and as it were for accidental reward, these holy angels were selected to serve in the mysteries of Christ, his most holy mother. In the same way, those who during this life have signalized themselves in the practice of certain virtues are rewarded with the special crowns of doctors, virgins, and so forth. In pursuance of this, when these holy princes appeared in visible shape to the mother of God, they bore devices or badges representing the different mysteries, as I will relate further on. Some of them showed the emblems of the Incarnation, others those of the Passion, others those of the Queen herself and of her great dignity. But she did not immediately recognize these badges when they began to be shown to her. For the Almighty had told all these holy angels not to make known to her that she was to be the mother of his only begotten until the hour appointed by his divine wisdom. Yet at the same time always to converse with her about the sacraments and mysteries of the Incarnation and the Redemption in order to excite her fervor and her prayers. Too tardy is human speech, and inadequate my brief terms and words for the manifestation of these exalted lights and intelligences. This concludes our reading today from the Mystical City of God. Today we were reading from chapter 14, paragraphs 199 to 208. In this reading, we kind of got a glimpse of how God used his angels in relationship to Mary, and just as we can think of different angels being sent to us and protecting us, just as we learned at Fatima that each country has their own guardian angel, for example, well, Mary, as this precious child of God, as the Immaculate Conception, has all of these angels who are ministering to her. And that's a reality that we're probably not aware of all that often, that there are angels all around us. It's one of the things that, and maybe I mentioned this already, I'm sure that in our reflections over 365 days, I might repeat myself, but hopefully there are stories worth resharing. But there was this lady in my parish when I was growing up, and I was an altar server, and she was a very holy, pious woman. She read different mystics and such, and I remember her telling me that every time as I served Mass, that I was surrounded by angels, that especially as the priest laid his hands over the gifts of the altar, 
And then I rang the bells that the angels were there and that the angels were going to adore God. And so we can kind of think of this reality then of all of these different angels being sent to Mary, all the different angels surrounding us, surrounding our world. Imagine this. Each of us has a guardian angel. So if you're at a football game, if you're at Lambeau Field, well, all of these people's guardian angels are there. It's a great gathering of these invisible realities that we believe in. Now, it was quite interesting what we hear at the very end today. But she did not immediately recognize these badges when they began to be shown to her. For the Almighty had told all these holy angels not to make known to her that she was to be the mother of the only begotten until the hour appointed by his divine wisdom. Yet at the same time, always to converse with her about the sacraments and mysteries of the incarnation and the redemption. And so you wonder then, well, did Mary converse with the angels? You know, this is, is that what Maria of Agreda is suggesting here? Or maybe what she's suggesting is that as Mary, as this prayerful young girl, always received these different inspirations in prayer. And maybe that's how the angels were communicating. Maybe it wasn't the angels speaking to her directly. She was hearing the angels speak like she heard the archangel Gabriel speak to her. But that the angels surrounding her begin to reveal these things to her, even though she might not be aware that they're being revealed by angels. It was a very peculiar passage uh, that we ended on today, and it was something that I began to think about quite immediately what Maria of Agreda meant there. Mary is the queen of all angels. That's one of her titles that we call upon her in the litany of Loretto. And so today we realize that the angels had a great relationship with her, and that today Mary assumed into heaven is with her son, surrounded by the angels and the saints. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading the mystical city of God. I'm so honored that you joined me today for our reading, and I hope that you'll join us again tomorrow where we pick up where we left off. May God bless you today, and Mary pray for you.